0: You know, I'm not afraid of anything, and that doesn't mean that I don't experience fear. I guess a better way of putting it is I, I don't have any phobias. I was in a class one time, and the instructor told us that everybody has a phobia. You know, and he's like, let's go around the room, and we're gonna we're gonna share what our phobias are, and and. Uh, one girl in the class said that hers was balloons, you know, which is odd, but surely it's a phobia, you know, that if anybody had latex gloves and they started blowing them up and popping, and, and I've heard of other people. I guess this is a this is a common thing. I'm not sure what the the, the name of that, that phobia is, but it's a legitimate phobia, uh, you know, arachnophobia, the fear of spiders, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. So a phobia, phobia is defined as an irrational fear, you know, and... Um, I don't think it's irrational to be scared of rattlesnakes, for instance. Um, you know, if you fall into a, a den of snakes, then, you know, rattlesnakes, then, you know, they can kill you. And and that's that's not irrational. What's irrational is laying in bed at night worrying about snakes. Worrying about a snake being under your sheets or every time you put your shoes on worried that there's going to be a snake inside unless of course you're camping in the desert or something but a, you know a phobia being an irrational fear you know I, I i argued my point to the instructor that i don't have any phobias and he was like well yes you do everybody has one i said no it's not irrational he said well what if you know what if you were uh, thrown from a cliff you wouldn't be afraid Well, yeah, but that's rational, you know. To experience fear while falling to your death is uh, is is completely natural and a completely rational response. Now, it doesn't solve anything in those circumstances, uh, but but maybe uh, you know, approaching the edge of the cliff with caution or being leery about who you're allowing near you while you're near the edge of the cliff, you know, those, those are rational, uh, responses that may come from a place of fear, uh, you know, as opposed to a place of a, of a more positive state of mind. Uh, cause we, you know, we, I say that because we associate fear as a negative, uh, or with negativity and as a, as a negative, uh, attribute of our, of our consciousness, um, but obviously, you know, there's a solid case, and I don't think anybody disagrees with, with fear being necessary for survival, you know, hence the, you know, not approaching the edge of a cliff carelessly. Uh, but that doesn't make one afraid of heights either, you know. I'm not going to... I've been to the Grand Canyon, and I, I walked to the edge, and I probably approached it a little more uh, boldly than my mother liked me to at that time, um, and... I'm sure the same would be, it would be the same case now, uh, even in my 30s, uh, but I'm not going to be a complete moron and play a game of chicken where I'm going to, well, there's people that are, though, there, you know, there's, there's people that do, uh, you know, they, they, because it, it, what does that do, you know, it activates adrenaline, and, and that adrenaline is, you know, is, is a bit of a rush, it's a, it's a bit of a high. You know, so you have adrenaline junkies that, that live life on the edge that then it's not because of an absence of fear. It's because of an embrace of fear. Um, but but going back to phobias, you know, the instructor in that class conceded the point, you know, because I I explained that, you know, I, like, yeah, being experiencing fear and having a phobia are not the same thing. And, and I don't have any phobias. And I, I think at one point in time in my life, I, I could maybe rationalize, uh, claustrophobia. Um, well, well, first, I think at a younger age, it was fear of the dark. And, and I, I, I don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's far to, or far reaching to say that a fear of the dark equals a fear of the unknown, right? Um, you know, because the, the right hemisphere, when you, when you reach into a dark room to turn on the light, uh, the right hemisphere is painting a picture of what's lurking in the shadows, and and that's what you know. That's what our ancestors survived on is is the the prey instincts and the the prey circuitry in our brains that that allow us to imagine the worst. You know, that's where dragons come from, right? That's what they are. Uh, that that chaos, the 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 unknown. You know, and so that's a that's an innate uh, natural human. Uh, Function to be a, afraid of the dark, especially at an early age. Uh, but overcoming that, it's not fear of darkness, you know, and realizing that it's fear of the unknown. For instance, if I'm sitting in my room and I turn the lights off and it, it could be pitch black, but I know there's nothing in the room that can harm me, so it would be irrational at that point to fear the darkness itself. Um, and I think I. At a young age, I overcame that. A very—I'm—I'm I'm talking maybe five years old. I decide maybe four. I like like before I could even conceive what I was doing. I would go into my closet or or turn off the lights in my room, and I would face those fears. I would I would sit in the dark, and until I wasn't afraid anymore, until I realized there was nothing to be afraid of, you know. And, and then part of it too, uh, you know, being in 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 unfamiliar places, uh, martial arts training, I think, helped me a lot with that too, because it it became a, it became a sentiment of, be the scariest thing in the dark, and there's nothing else to fear, uh, so that was helpful, but the claustrophobia thing later on, um, it, it, it wasn't I think maybe seeing the movie The Jacket in theaters incited some of that uh, it's a great movie they put the they put a Adrian Brody in a straight jacket and put him inside a, a mortician's box while he's alive and he uh, they I think they give him some drugs or something that cause him to hallucinate the past and you know he essentially time travels with his mind it's a a cool movie but he's there's parts of the film especially seeing it in theaters on the big screen where he's inside the box and it's just that's all you see is the line at the top of the screen the line at the bottom of the screen and and him in a straight jacket in the middle panicking and breathing heavy uh it's a very anxiety inducing film especially for somebody who, who suffers from real claustrophobia um but what i did is uh I went into the crawl space in the attic in my parents' home, uh, where the nails from the roof, uh, stick through, and I would crawl up there, and I would just lay there, and if I got up or stretched or moved too much, I'd get stabbed by the nails, and so I really didn't have much of an option, you know, except to crawl out, uh, which was, you know, essentially an army crawl backwards. And and so there was, there's a, there's, I think there's a a degree of patience that has to come with claustrophobia, like knowing this will pass and like, like that urge to stand up or to stretch or to want to move and you're restrained and you can't, you have to be patient. You have to remain calm, work through it, rationalize through it, you know, because it's something that, and and I guess that's what it is. It's a loss of control because you don't have the control. You don't have the freedom to just stand up and jump or whatever, you know? Um, Another thing I did when I was uh, probably a little bit older uh, a couple friends of mine and myself, we would get skateboards, and we would actually, and I know this is dangerous, everybody tells me, but we would climb into storm drains, and, and we would climb into different size storm drains. Some of them were just large enough for, you know, one body on a skateboard to to pull themselves through, and that was nerve-wracking because with that, it's you're not talking about, you know, 8, 10 feet back to the attic access. You're talking, we would go you know distances in these storm drains and if the guy behind you was like no keep going and you're in front of him you can't back up because he's not moving you know and so uh so yeah that was that was nerve-wracking and i know it was it was unsafe and it would have been a reasonable fear uh in some cases but uh here i am you know but did i die no and uh and so i think facing my fears has always been for me has always been the key uh, and from an early early age I've, I've, I think I realized that and uh, when I was about 16, 17 years old my sister worked at a zoo and I went to her job and they allowed us in the house where the big cats slept and when we went in they had uh, it was basically a, a hallway probably maybe 6 feet across and they had the, ha- the cages chain link fences on either side that they kept the cats in and uh, they kept them all, the, the building, the structure was located in between all the exhibits, and so they all came in there, and on one side they had, like, leopards and bobcats and smaller cats like that, and on the other side they had the lions. And you had to stand right in the middle. They told you if you backed up toward either side that the the cats on that side would reach through the fence and scratch you, so you had to stay right in the middle. And when they let the lions in, the females all came in first, and they filed in one at a time uh, to their areas And the male lion came in last, and at that point in my life, I was, uh, you know, I had several years of martial arts training, and I was a a cocky little shit, and I always thought, like, if I get attacked by a wild animal, I'll kick it in the throat or something, you know, thinking like pit bulls and shit, you know, a, a teenage boy, you know, at 17 can can overcome physically overcome a pit bull, you know, uh, because of our, our mental abilities as well. So that was always my thought, you know, with, with those things with wild animals. And um when the male lion came through, he in the blink of an eye leaped from the entrance of the of the structure to the fence, you know, claws out, paws up, and roared, you know, right in our faces. And this is, you know, you know, three feet away. And uh it was a very humbling, sobering experience because I knew that if that chain link fence wasn't between us, I would not be kicking this motherfucker in the throat. I would be meow mix. Um, and and it, was, it was humbling. And, you know, it, it, looking back at that, it wasn't so much even a, a negative fear that I experienced with that. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an irrational fear. It was a respect I think that's, it's the best word because I didn't, and I don't certainly have a fear of lions, I don't lay in bed at night thinking about them, I would surely go through that same experience again, and, and, you know, you know, these, these people that, that, uh, you know, lion tamers and things like that, I, I would be all for even, you know, petting a lion without the fence between me under the, you know, as long as it wasn't hungry, <laughs> But, but knowing that if this, if this beast wanted to kill me, you know, it's, it's humbling. And maybe that's what fear does too, is it, is it keeps us grounded. Um, it keeps us humble and it, it keeps us in touch with our mortality because until you die, you don't really understand what death is and then it's too late to do anything about it. I had a vasectomy yesterday. On the way there, my wife was driving, and I experienced something that I haven't experienced in a very long time, and that was fear. Um, I don't think it's necessary to get into explicit detail uh, as to why I was afraid. It seems pretty obvious whatever you're assuming is probably the reason I mean somebody's about to cut around my balls and that's that's a little nerve-wracking um but to be honest though you know I say that but realistically I, I was less nervous about the medical procedure itself um I'm very I'm fine with needles getting shots doesn't bother me um I've had, you know, a wound in my finger. Oh, here's here's a funny uh, anecdote. Uh, I was breaking up a dog fight, and the one dog I pulled its mouth open, and the tooth broke the skin. You know, it didn't attack me, but anyway, the this the medial the flesh over the medial phalange on my middle finger um, flapped open. It's a T-shaped scar. I'm looking at it right now. It looks like an uppercase T, and so it, it created that kind of triangle, and it flapped open, and I could see the bone when I was rinsing it out in the sink. That was awesome, and I was I was sober, like I but it wasn't like it was a finger; it's an extremity. Um, but that was so cool to me; it was so fascinating. I actually, I can say I've seen my own bones. I've never had a compound fracture, uh, so so that was the only time I've I've seen my own, and I don't want a compound fracture. Um, I'd rather have experienced what I did and, and saw my bone. And I, uh, that's just cool, you know. It's 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 uh it's fascinating to me. And I started I started to tell that story to the doctor performing the vasectomy, and, and he said, "No, no, 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 no. I get squeamish when you start talking about hands and getting." I'm like, we "We're about to cut into my dick, really, dude?" He goes, "No, I don't know what it is. I'm fine. I can cut into guts and all day, but something about hands and fingers getting cut is you, I'm, you know." I started thinking about it. well, that's his that's his livelihood. It's like Doctor Strange, you know. I didn't say that out loud to him but I did say that I'm like well maybe it's because it's it's how you make your money you got to have a steady hand to cut people's nutsacks open and and he kind of laughed about that but I didn't tell him the whole the whole dog bite story but the point is I, I'm not um I'm not necessarily scared of the medical procedure when I had my teeth pulled uh I didn't I was sober I was 100% sober I just you know they did the the local Novocaine or whatever but but no gas you know no nitros anything like that um when I spoke with the doctor uh, during my consultation, I was still very comfortable, very cool, uh, just because I was thinking in terms of the medical procedure itself at that point, And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I don't need volume, you know. Is it va- volume or volume? I don't know. I think it's volume. Uh, you know, I've I, never taken it before. I, I was never... I You know, I, I smoked a little weed back in the day and, and drank, you know, when I was younger. Well, I still drink. I'm drinking right now, actually. Um, but... I never really enjoyed pills. I tried a couple uh, when I, you know, I worked in the restaurant industry, and I I never cared for them. So it's not something I I ever really partied with. So so during the consultation, I told him no, I didn't need it. Um, that I didn't really have any anxiety. I had made the logical decision. We have two kids. I love and I, and I don't want to be in a Brady Bunch or you know situation where I've got six kids and you know just overpopulation there's so many reasons to to justify uh making the decision that i made um and and it's something that i've 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 thought about you know long before my current relationship but you know it's like okay well you know i kind of want to have two maybe three kids probably two and after having after having the second one um it reinforced a lot of that too because it was like well that's that's not the point of, of what i'm talking about but um I was able to to rationalize it uh, with the with the sober mind over a clear head, you know, sober mind over the course of many years, and I'm, I was comfortable with it, and come to terms with it, until the drive over there, and and I I seriously had waves of fear, and it wasn't, it still wasn't the medical procedure that I, it was a little bit weird being on the table because you are awake, uh, they numb you, so all you, but. I'll get into that maybe uh but but the point of this is is the philosophical uh the philosophical aspect of it I guess you know because you ask questions like and and, and this and I told my wife this um you know we're very open and honest with each other and I, I'm not even so worried about you know a lot of a lot of co-workers um people that I've I've spoken to about this like uh and I've, I've Debated a couple Catholics, uh, they're you know very against it. Whatever. Well, what if your wife, God forbid, gets in a horrible accident and you meet somebody else and you want to have kids with them? You know, it's like, well, I, I I'm not anticipating that. I do believe in the law of attraction, so I'm not going to try to manifest that reality. Uh, for one, um, so l- let's let's throw another scenario. You know, what if what if we decide we want more kids? You know, well, adoption. I mean it kind of makes sense like the whole purpose of procreation is for some reason we want to pass our DNA uh on in the world and and I think it's one of the four um one of the four methods that we use to try to attain immortality uh, to to some extent um we you know so we have this we have this proclivity to to want to pass on our DNA and then I've heard, God, I've heard theories uh, about how you know DNA is the real driving force. Our genetics are driving us that we are just vessels, and that our behavior is dictated by our DNA and by our genetics. And that's what the real organism is 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 the DNA, and that you know that's why we want to pass it on, whatever. Um, and I've you know I've for whatever it is, I I've, I've never I never put that much thought into it before having kids, um, but, but maybe there's some truth to that, and, and people who, you know, who aren't able to have children, for medical reasons, but want them, I think, and, and I hate to say this out loud, because it, it sounds insensitive to them, and, and it sucks, but, I think they kind of settle, to an extent, when they, you know, they don't have the option, so you, you know, you, you take the cards, you're dealt and you do the best you can, um, and that's something that you know I, I don't think adoption you know just in case i ever adopt any kids and they listen to this one day surely i will love you um so so i but i i guess the point is i don't plan on doing that at this time and i don't want to accidentally have more kids than i anticipated because i don't think that helps things either uh so you know i'm able to rationalize through it so then you throw these other scenarios and because I have a very uh, philosophical mind, um, something far less realistic. But you know, let's say it's a Noah's Ark situation, right? Let's say, okay, well, you're one of the last humans in this apocalypse, and you have to repopulate the planet. You know, well, guess what? <laughs> Not able to. And 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 I know that that's ridiculous, but it's it's just one of those things that that goes through your head, you know, because there's a lot to process when you're about to make a decision like this. Um, you know, and, and in that case, you know, we're in an apocalypse situation. Well, guess what? If the repopulation of the planet depends on the ability to procreate, then I'll sacrifice myself for those who can. You know, and I'll I'll fight and defend them and preserve the species that way. You know, so so there's, <laughs> and I know that's that's completely ridiculous. It's a ridiculous, hypothetical. It's more of a, like I said, a philosophical uh, thought than anything else. But um, but going, you know, driving there. I'm also, I I am on painkillers right now, so I'm kind of a little bit slurry. I've had one and a half drinks, but I, what am I on, hydrocodone? I don't really do pills very often, so it is necessary because my balls hurt. Feels like getting kicked in the nuts for about 24 hours. Not going to lie, that kind of sucks, but hydrocodone makes you numb. My body's like pretty chill. I can't feel my legs So that's always cool, Um, but I did feel fear, and what was interesting. So I spend a lot of time in my head. I overthink everything, and uh, which is beneficial for making a a decision like this. You know, because although I had already come to terms with it, um, I felt physiological effects from the fear I was experiencing. And it wasn't a rational fear, but I wouldn't say it was... Well, I guess it was a rational fear, because I wasn't, once again, I wasn't afraid of the medical aspect of it. I was afraid of the philosophical implications. You know, because it's it, it, it's it's not something you do. You know, the doctor even explained, he's like, look, vasectomies are reversible, but you don't do it thinking... You know, planning on getting it reversed. You know, it's expensive. It's it's not as effective. It's not as safe. You know, just so consider it permanent. You know, and and so it's 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 making that that decision that's going to change something for the rest of your life. It's a big decision in that aspect, and so that's that's what the the fear really was, um, and I think that's that's pretty justified, and it's something that that one should definitely put a lot of thought into before, you know, just leaping into that decision, especially if you don't have kids, because, you know, you never know, um, but, but it, it was interesting to me that I actually, you know, I, I felt waves of adrenaline, um, that, you know, just sitting there, not, not being in a, a, fight or being in a, an altercation or something, but just, just sitting there with my own thoughts, and, um, and and you know, it's a meditation exercise too, is to be able to activate your adrenaline with thought, but that's on purpose. This wasn't on purpose, this was real shit, you know, and, and I don't I guess I don't go through uh uh that many haven't been through that many life changing decisions. You know, buying a house, whoop de doo, you know, uh, selling a car, whoop de doo. Making it so you can never have children again, you know, that's it's a scary thing, and and I was able at one point. This was this was cool because I I I wasn't trying to you know Sarah was try- I think she could kind of tell that I my wife she could kind of tell that I was a little nervous or whatever. So she was trying to I guess get my mind off of it. And she kept trying to talk about other things, but but I, I wasn't trying to get my mind off of it because it's it's a not an opportunity. It's not an experience that you get to. That you get to go through every day, and and I embrace those experiences, and so I, I wanted that fear, I wanted to feel it, I wanted to to go through it and to experience it because it you know it's it's feeling being alive, um, and and so during that I, w- I was able to use it to to imagine and to connect to some other things, and one of them was facing death. Uh, I was able to to take that feeling and apply it to the idea of facing death um and you know wrap my head around uh you know execution by firing line or you know or just different ways to die I started thinking about it you know because it is it is a permanent thing and and then also imagine imagining what it would feel like because you know we're in the car we're getting closer and closer to the hospital um, get going into the building. I'm getting onto the elevator. I'm riding the elevator to the third floor. Walking down the hallway, every every physical thing that's happening is bringing me closer and closer to this permanent decision. And uh, and it was kind of it, it kind of made me think about that. You know, well, what if you're a prisoner up for execution? You know, and and every step you're taking down the hallway toward uh, the gallows is bringing you closer to that that finishing moment and uh and that's something that's and and, and i'm not equating uh a vasectomy with death itself because I, i'm not catholic i don't think i you know i murdered the uh unborn children or, or anything like that it's just such a permanent thing you know and, and it's something that is that is you know it's kind of a big deal it's kind of life-changing and and I'm I, I'm not regretting it by any means. I'm still, um, I'm still able to rationalize, rationalize it. And uh, you know, I'm not sober right this second, so I'm a little bit, uh, maybe not as articulate as normal. Um, but I was sober till about 4 p.m. today, until I had to get up and take a shower, and my balls started hurting. So, hence the hydrocodone and whiskey. But no, it's um it's not a feeling that I would shy away from and I you know, it gave me a little more understanding too as to where panic attacks come from, which I didn't have a panic attack, and it, but but I was able to think like, okay, well, if somebody is feeling this, if they're feeling this fear and they can't overcome it, that's what it would lead to. Um so I do encourage those of you who who suffer with anxiety um you know, or panic attacks or whatever for, for maybe things that aren't as big of a deal. You know, people have anxiety over small stuff all the time. Um, you know, to, to face it. you, ha- you ha- That's the only way. I You know, pe- people, you know, they use medication and, and they talk about, you know, they talk about uh, d- different ways to suppress it or to, to whatever. but But embrace it you know, like, like you have to, the only way to conquer your fear is to, is to, is to think about it, don't avoid it, what, what, you know, it's, it's, avoiding something doesn't, especially something that's inside of you, it doesn't make it go away, um, so I don't know, I, I, I love to talk to people about this kind of stuff when, when I have the opportunity, I, and I'm trying to get better at that, I think, I think that's part of, part of why I'm, I'm talking about this now is I want to get better at helping people deal with fear and deal with anxiety. And I've, I've lacked a lot of empathy, which is why I was kind of excited about this experience. Uh, not the, the whole snip snip, but just the, the fear part of it. Um, because it, you know, it it helped me understand a little bit what they're talking about. You know, when they say, Oh, I have these waves of fear shooting through me. Like, yeah, it was like, Like, that's, okay, maybe this is that, that sensation that they call fear, you know, because it's something, something real, you know, um, and, and it's, uh, there's a Bob Newhart, it was, I think in Living Color, maybe Saturday Night Live, it was an older skit, uh, where Bob Newhart is a, is a shrink, and, uh, people come in to talk to him, or maybe it was just one girl, I don't recall right now, but anyway, the other character comes in, she talks to him, and, his advice is stop it, you know, and she's like, oh, I have claustrophobia, you know, I'm afraid of being buried alive in a box, and he's like, okay, well, I'm going to give you the, the, the cure on how to, you know, not have claustrophobia, stop it, stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box, you don't want to go through life being dysfunctional, so stop it, oh, well, I'm also scared of heights, okay, stop that too, you know, and, and and people laugh about it, but that's really like, yeah that's the best advice you know um for for phobias you know for for the irrational fear if you're having a panic attack over something when you know everything is going to be okay you know it's not it's not rational and and so it, it was nice to experience that fear that it wasn't necessarily rational because I wasn't in any danger um but it was it was because of a philosophical uh quandary. And uh, and the the implications of the you know the permanent uh decision that that I made. So anyway, I thought that was pretty exciting. I'm not gonna do it again. Um, if something turns out that this vasectomy was botched and that they fucked up somehow, well then it wasn't meant to be. We're gonna go with that because it was a little it was a little uncomfortable. The process i 'm not going to lie, uh, yeah, if I could go back and make the decision on whether or not to do it the first time, I would still do it, but i wouldn't do it a second time. So the question is, is fear necessary um, to for someone to really learn what it means to be good and maybe not consciously what it means you know to understand what it means to be good but to actually to learn to be good. And I was thinking about this yesterday. I told my three-year-old son that he was a good kid. And, and he is. He is a great kid. And um, I mean that in more than one way. Uh, because when somebody says, oh, you're a good kid or, oh, you're a good boy, it means you're obedient. You know, it means that, that you're not doing things that I don't like. Um, now, because of a parent's love, what I like for him to do is in his best interest. And it is in the interest of him becoming a good man. But my point is that there is a difference between being a good boy and a good man, um, because as I said, being a good kid has more to do with uh, with doing what other people want you to do, and you don't really have to understand why. Um, you know, cleaning your room—it's not really necessarily a moral issue, but it does help you start learning how to cultivate reality. Uh, from an early stage of development, and and so it's a good thing for you to do, making you a good kid if you do it, you know. And, and you don't really care, at, at, you know, at that age especially. You don't you don't care if your room's a mess, uh, but but you start learning those things, and it kind of instills certain values in you. But as an adult, to be good, it it doesn't necessarily mean doing what other people want you to do, because for one, who is your authority? You know, where does authority lie? uh you could say that it's it's the law and if that's the case um you know wearing a, not wearing a seatbelt would make you bad you know and and I don't I don't buy that um but morality through fear is not real morality you know it's 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 the same as doing something for your self-interest or for personal gain you know because you're doing something because of fear of consequence and so if, if you have somebody in a position where they are so afraid uh, to act out of line or to hurt somebody else that they don't, they're not really a moral person. The only reason, the only thing preventing, if the only thing preventing somebody from raping someone is fear of the consequences or fear of getting caught, then they're, they're essentially a rapist. You know, this is what Jesus talked about. About the condition of, of your heart. If you've looked at a married woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. And, and people uh, people think that's harsh, but but that's the idea. Is that if the only restraint that you're showing, the only reason you're refraining, is because of fear of consequence or because of you know of social stigma, then then the condition of your heart is that of an adulterer, or is that of a thief, or is that of a rape, or whatever. And so the idea of of being a good man is very different from being a good boy, and I'm using gender-specific pronouns, so if, you know, if, if you're a female, you know, calm the fuck down, it applies to everybody, um, I'm, I'm a male, so that's the pronouns I'm, I'm using, and I was, uh, referencing my son, um, but, but, but as an adult, being a good adult is not the same as being a good kid, and if you're, if you're a grown-up, and the only reason you are refraining from doing things that society would consider immoral is because of social stigma, whether it be legal uh, uh, legal consequences or, or something else. If that's the only reason you're acting a certain way, then you're a good kid. You're not really a good person. You're not really a good man or a good woman. You're a good kid and and you haven't outgrown that you haven't you haven't grown up and um working in the prison system obviously and i know a lot of people like that and that you know they have this worldview and it's it's like when you you sit there and you you talk to them and you you try to figure out you know what are you going to do with your life you know and, and and that's that's where their head's at and it's not it's not it doesn't lead anywhere um the other side of this also uh Jordan Peterson talked about, um, virtue, you know, what is virtue and how, uh, you need to, as you develop and as you grow, you need to become somewhat of a monster. Um, and what he means by that, what I believe he means by that is, is you have to have the capacity for evil. You have to have the, and, and, and by, and so I have to clarify, by evil, I don't mean the will to do harm to others, but rather the ability to do harm to others, and you have to know that you have that ability and know how to do it um but but to have restraint not to and therefore, a butterfly, because a butterfly is harmless, it cannot be virtuous um you can't be harmless and and in order to be a good a good person or in order to be a good man. Uh, you you have to you can't be harmless. You have to be able to to conquer evil, and martial arts is about that. It's about it's about conquering evil, and you conquer the evil within yourself, and you know the internal threat, and then you also conquer external threats as they arise, and that's that's you know that's the purpose of martial arts. So you go through this training, and uh, you know punching somebody in the face, I think is, you know, objectively evil because you're, you're physically harming somebody. Um, but there's a time and a place for it. Shooting somebody, killing somebody, you know, you can say it's objectively e- evil, but there's a time and a place for it. Um, and I can't do this, this, I don't even want to call it a debate because this person is so stupid. And, and I, and I hate, I hate to say that. Um, but they, you know, they posted something on Facebook, you know, something kind of about police should never kill people. Police should never have the right to kill anybody ever, you know, and uh, and I said, well, what about like a mass shooter? And uh, and and I, you know, they, and I say they're stupid because they're like, oh, they should try to talk them down. For it's like you don't understand, heful like like child. Listen, like. <laughs> Like they should try to talk down the mass shooter. They should use other any other means necessary. Minimum, for, you know what? Fuck that. If somebody's going through and they're killing children, they're slaughtering children. Drop them as soon as possible. Don't give them the opportunity to spread any more of that violence. Like like that. And 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 is that evil? Absolutely. But it's to it's to vanquish an even greater evil. Um, and it, so it's a necessary evil. And so, so, therefore, the police officer that shoots the mass shooter is a virtuous person because they, they were able to, for one, they were able to, to tap into that monster. They were able to tap into that side of themselves and not lose themselves in it either. You know, it's, it's not a case of, of they shoot the mass shooter and then they continue shooting all the children, too. They're able to show that restraint. They're able to, to differentiate. And so, so, to be good it also i think it requires understanding and and i've i've had this discussion um with one of my coworkers he and i have gone back and forth about this a lot and he's he's really big about you know uh he's he's very um biblically oriented and and he's all you know he's always like oh i, I want wisdom like solomon i want wisdom like solomon but then when we start you know if i challenge him on on maybe more of the the scientific implications of the bible he his response is oh well that's not for us to understand that's not for us to understand and and so then our our discussion leads into wisdom versus understanding um you know, because the Bible says, lean not on your own understanding. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's talking about trusting God. You know, if, if you can't figure something out, put your trust in God. But that doesn't mean that we don't have the ability to figure things out and to understand things. You know, and so so his understanding of wisdom is that wisdom comes from God and that you don't have to understand something to know what the right decision is. So that's more about intuition, you know, at, at that point. And, and I don't think that's as... I, I think it has its place. It's certainly... It's certainly uh, is helpful and and you know good things can happen but you can also be wrong uh but to understand you know you know what it means to be a a good person or 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 what or how to be a good man requires that you have some understanding of of moral and uh you know philosophical ideas you you have to you have to spend some time meditating on those things you have to spend some time thinking about those things otherwise um, you're either just a follower, you're just a sheep, and you have no conviction, you have no ideas, you're just a good boy, you know, you're not, you're not, you can't be a good man if you don't understand what it is you're doing, you're a good boy, and, you know, and that's fine, because that's useful, um, a majority of people are fucking stupid, and so we need sheep to keep the wheels turning, but to really be a good man, to really, um, to really step into the position of, of leadership in society uh, requires requires you to to study and to understand and to to you know to obtain wisdom not because you just have this little voice inside but but also because you have. You have information that you've you've sought out, information that you've integrated into your worldview, um, that helps you understand what the greater good is to help you see the bigger picture. and And when you get into these um, when you get into these discussions, you're not just shouting the other person down. Uh, you know, it's it, it's part of it is, is keeping an open mind, um, but to but to also you know orient yourself toward the higher conceivable good or toward the highest conceivable good uh and and I think that's what that's what being a good man is and it that that comes with self sacrifice a lot of times too because you if you know what's going to be if you know what action is going to help facilitate the greater good um you know or the best the best scenario for everybody to minimize suffering and that action maybe, you know, at your own expense to some degree or another, uh, it's making those decisions as well. You know, that's what sacrifice is. And, and so to sacrifice for your family, to sacrifice for those you love, but to also sacrifice for the sense of the world is the highest form of love, you know, because it's something that maybe it's not even something you're responsible for. Um, but you take responsibility because you're aware of the oneness, um, of everybody. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's the true love, you know, and that's why people associate love with good because of that, you know, because you, you reach that point and it has to come from a place of sincerity. Once again, you can't, you can fake it. Um, but it's not, it doesn't make you a good person to fake it because if you're doing it for the purpose of recognition, uh, You know, then that it it is for it is self satisfying, and it's not it's not sincere. Um, You know, that's why the, the Bible repeatedly talks about you know praying praying in the closet, not standing on the street corner, not tithing in front of everybody, being discreet in your good deeds, because it's not about. And, and, but then but then e- even if nobody else knows about it but you do it and you're you're telling yourself oh I'm such a good person because I did that and nobody knew about it you're you're still missing the point you know because it is about the condition of your heart above all else um, and so getting to that place where where you you have this selfless love and 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 you want to you want to sacrifice for others for the greater good you know but also understanding your Also understanding the aspect of your nature that allows you to become a monster when you need to be, that allows you to be virtuous because, because you know that you can meet evil, but you, you have enough discernment and you have enough understanding and wisdom to do the right thing at the right time and to be able to, uh, you know, to reach an agreement with other good men and, and to figure out what's best for everybody. So it's just food for thought. I wanted to start recording before I thought this through because I wanted to catch it fresh as it came to me. Um, I haven't listened to the previous segments of this set, um, but I do I do remember some of them. I do remember um, speaking about the fear I had leading up to my vasectomy and and how fear is a uh, rather foreign concept to me. I've been pondering what it is exactly that causes fear um and in a sense you know we could say, oh it's survival you know that it's an instinctual reaction um that you know has to do with survival uh fight or flight uh, but it's it's more to it than that because if you you can become desensitized to certain things right you can um you know, a, a lion tamer's first encounter with the large cat may induce adrenaline, but after doing it so many times, um, that lion tamer is not going to respond the same way physiologically. Um, so it's even though the, the risk and the danger are, the external factors haven't changed, um, what has changed is the lion tamer himself So fear is obviously internalized, or internal, and um, why? You know, like like what does it come from then? Because it's not just about survival, Uh, because like I say, you become desensitized, and and, and granted the reason uh, in some cases that you become desensitized is because you are more accustomed to those circumstances, or you are more capable of contending the thing that made you fearful in the first place, or you familiarized yourself and with the thing to the extent that you are, you realize fear is unnecessary. Like something like trivial, like being scared of the dark. Um, but I, I think, you know, putting putting some thought into it, some of it has to do with um, the realization of our own shortcomings or our own inadequacies, um, and and that causes a negative emotion as well. so. So like, for instance, in the case of me wor- worrying about getting my vasectomy you know, I was scared that it wasn't the correct decision. And so I was questioning my ability to make decisions, uh, to make a, a, a decision that serious and that permanent. Um, in the case of coming face to face with a, a lion, um it would be questioning my ability to defend myself if, if need be. Um, and in the case, and, and so in the case of fear of the dark, uh, it wouldn't be one's own inadequacies. And so the fear itself is irrational and, and that's the realization, uh, one would have to come to. Um, but it is a fear of the unknown in this case. Right. And so that's, that's very relevant as well because, um that's what we experience a lot and it overlaps with the uh realization of inadequacy as well but that's that's what we experience a lot when we're dealing with fear pertaining to the future um you know obviously feeling fear and adrenaline and the physiological elements in the present uh due to threatening circumstances is reasonable you know like coming face-to-face with a lion or something. Um, but thinking about the future and feeling nervous about something, anticipating something, uh, Well, and, and this is a practice that I I, I want to say I learned in martial arts, but nobody ever taught it to me. It was something I just discovered on my own, and I applied it, and I did teach it to my some of my students, uh, not to the masses, but to certain ones, <sighs> excuse me, um, is how to activate your adrenaline. And the easiest way to activate your adrenaline is through thought patterns, um, thinking about what makes you nervous or what makes you afraid. Um, And for me, you know, it it became more and more difficult. Um, But I, I still think, but I was able to, I was able to find where the adrenaline came from and was able to activate it without experiencing direct fear. Um, or something that I couldn't uh, I couldn't wrap my head around. And what I would do is I would picture um, I would picture fighting in an MMA fight, um, you know, publicly, professionally, and and it wasn't the fight itself that I was scared of. It was more like the stage fright element, going out there and being critiqued by so many people. You know, it brought, it brought a level of nervousness, um, and I was able to to kind of tap in, you know, accelerated heart rate, tap into that adrenaline. Um, and when I actually, when I actually did, I never did like you know professional UFC, but uh, I did you know a couple of uh, a couple of amateur kickboxing matches in some of the clubs in Jacksonville, and and so experiencing that, uh, it it wasn't really scary. It really desensitized me to it in a lot of ways, um, but I was still able at that point to to kind of tap into where the adrenaline was coming from and and you know what it was I was experiencing. So so now I'm dealing with fear for someone else. I'm fearing for my mother. Um, I'm fearing for what she's going through. And it's different because it's not... uh, You know, having kids taught me a lot about empathy and a lot about emotions and and feelings and experiences that I I didn't experience prior to having kids and, um, like just watching a sad movie, it actually triggers emotion. If if a kid in a movie is lost or kidnapped, it actually used to have no effect on me. Now it like actually makes me concerned and, and sad and, and all of these things. Um, and my mom is, is going through things now that I'm, I worry about her. Like I, like I'm legitimately like Like worried about what's going to happen and and there's a sense of helplessness uh, because it's her own decisions that she's making and there's nothing I can do about it except tell her the truth and the more I tell her the truth the more she pushes me away so the more it seems like these decisions um, don't want to hear reason and I'm not approaching her aggressively or anything she just doesn't want to hear uh, a counter argument to what what it is she's trying to do so how do we deal with that? How do we? You know, obviously, we can't control people, um, but if we have concern for somebody, like how far should one take that? That's what I'm struggling with.